This is a Federal News Network podcast. The Defense Department's Cybersecurity Maturity Model Certification Program, CMMC, has barely gotten off the ground, but it must be here to stay because some groups are already looking to reform it. Case in point, the Congressionally Chartered IT Acquisition Advisory Council has partnered with the CMMC accreditation body to establish a center of excellence. More on that now from attorney and CMMC expert Robert Metzger. He spoke with Tom Timmon. What is going on with CMMC? There was kind of a review and a pause a little bit when the Biden administration came well, in. What are we seeing now? There's a significant review underway. A couple of months ago, we knew that there was an initial 30-day review, and that's been followed by a high-level review, which I understand involves senior officials across the department, including perhaps some folks from uh, combatant commands. They're taking a look not only at issues that are relevant to producing a final rule and regulation for CMMC, but also at some of the, let's call them structural or architectural issues. There's been a couple of areas of concern that have surfaced in congressional hearings and otherwise. There's a lot of interest in seeing how the program can be made more plausible for small business. There's also concern about the clarity of the regulations and the oversight process. And then there's an interest in improving the public confidence and the integrity of this accreditation body that is responsible for training and for the approval of assessors. Right. So far, there have been just a handful of assessors that have come out the chute so far. Very true. Well, that raises another point. CMMC has always been ambitious, maybe too ambitious. You know, the original thought was that you would train this large group of assessors and that over a period of, say, five years, you would go out and assess as many as 300,000 companies against two standards primarily, level one standard, which concerns federal contract information, and then a level three standard, which concerns covered defense information and controlled unclassified information. Well, even if we took just the the latter group of about 20,000, coming up with enough assessors to get that done is pretty daunting, and it's going more slowly than it had been hoped for. And what this suggests to me, Tom, is that first is that the program is going to take a slower rollout than had been said by some, that it's going to stretch out over a longer period of time. And it would not surprise me if DOD were to make some changes that focus the program more on businesses who do work of higher importance to or more sensitivity to the Department of Defense. The cybersecurity situation itself seems to be deteriorating just nationally, given the number of attacks and the types of ransomware and all of these things that have been going on. So is there a sense of urgency, do you sense, on DOD's part? You know, one of the things we're learning is that regulations and complex oversight structures tend to be slow in movement and difficult to implement. Unfortunately, threats evolve much more rapidly. And we continue to suffer from penetrations that not only steal sensitive technical information, but increasingly we are seeing that companies in the defense industrial base and outside have their information systems denied or disrupted by ransomware attackers. You know, in truth, since uh, CMMC started, the threat picture has really only worsened. Adversaries have become more diverse in their attacks. There's also different objectives than we might have seen emphasized before. So you're right. It's more important that we protect not just the defense industrial base, but more commercial enterprises. And we're finding that it's hard to get it done as a matter of regulation, assessment, and review. 
We're speaking with Robert Metzger. He's a partner at the law firm Rogers Joseph O'Donnell. And in many ways, CMMC, not to overdraw the analogy, but is a little bit like FISMA, and it could devolve into a compliance and reporting exercise, but yet not necessarily real good cybersecurity on the parts of those companies. Well, there's always that tension between compliance, which everyone feels they must do, and the achievement and sustainment of security. There'll be a point in time after an assessment when you get a certification when the fact of the certification will attest to your satisfaction of the security requirements at that time. But a prudent company should not be looking only to check the boxes to comply, even though that could be difficult. Because threats evolve and new vulnerabilities are exposed and exploited, a prudent company always has to be looking around to see the current environment and improving its security to respond. And that's just as true for companies as it is for federal agencies and departments. So perhaps a more simple approach to this would be what the government itself would call outcomes-based, for example, and say, you can do whatever you want, but if you exfiltrate our data or your data is taken in a cyber attack, there's a $100,000 fine and the contract is canceled. I'm just making that one up. But that's a more direct approach than this apparatus, which is CMMC. Well, you know, what we found is that asking companies to implement security measures and relying upon their self-attestation, that didn't work. That's why we came to this CMMC apparatus, as you call it. You know, I did a program yesterday in a cloud security forum where I stressed just the same point that you did with a little difference. I said, we're not 100% sure of how the CMMC program is going to evolve. And if we really don't have a way to know when assessors will be ready to come to our facility or organization, let's focus right now on the outcomes. And the way I described it, Tom, was to say that companies should be able to look at the information that it creates and possesses, which is most important. It should know which customers receive its products or its data where the loss of confidentiality or the loss of access to that data would have the greatest impact to that customer. And for companies who supply to the Department of Defense, many, not all, many should be able to know what parts of their data or which parts of their information services, if compromised, would do the greatest harm to the Department of Defense and its missions. What I said yesterday, and I'll say it again here, is that if you know what's most important and is most impactful to your customer, then you can take measures to isolate and protect that information and to tighten the screws on and you know, create a better fence around that data. So if you have reduced the risk of any adverse outcome and you have mitigated the significance or consequence of an adverse outcome if it occurs, then I think you've done a good job. I think that's a good start. And getting back to the CMMC program, specifically in the Pentagon, the lady that was in charge of it has left, and we don't know exactly what her circumstances are, Katie Arrington. So is the program paused? Are there new assessors being approved by the accreditation body? What is going on mechanically with this whole thing? Well, the accreditation body is continuing to develop its training and assessment and accreditation program. They are making progress. They've got new leadership in the person of Matt Travis, who came from DHS. He's a very capable person, and they're looking to increase their staffing. It's a big task. I credit them for making steady progress, maybe not as fast as some would wish, but it's still progress. DOD is doing this uh, you know, serious uh, review of CMMC, and it's got, let's say, two problems. You know, one is how to finalize the interim rule that became effective in November. 
Then the other is what bigger changes outside the rule itself are appropriate to make the program more effective, more practical, affordable. And that's a lot to cover. And one of the complications is that certain positions of senior leadership in DOD, as you know, are not filled. We don't have an Undersecretary of Defense for Acquisition and Sustainment. We don't have an Assistant Secretary of Defense for Acquisition. And so this leadership void means that it's difficult to figure out who should decide or can decide if there are plans to make some significant changes in the program. And to make an analogy, the Veterans Affairs Department put on pause for review its electronic health records program. That review is completed, and now they are proceeding under some different circumstances, but they're proceeding with the basic program. Is your sense that after this pause and review of CMMC, that the Pentagon will, in fact, resume the program? A crucial question. Because the Pentagon has said little over the last several months, because Ms. Arrington has been put on leave, you know, the impetus behind the program has been reduced. And so there are some companies and analysts who are thinking that CMMC will go away. And there are some companies who are saying, I don't want to do anything because I'm not sure it's going to happen, or I don't know how it's going to happen or when it will happen to me. But my answer is that the reasons that led to CMMC, the threat, the successful breach, the theft of information, the injury to our national defense, all of those things, as you suggested earlier, Tom, they are only worse today than a few years ago when this started. So my expectation is that CMMC will remain and that it will be pursued with vigilance by the Department of Defense. And I even think that some variation of CMMC is likely to extend to the civilian agencies. It will be different in many respects than what we are seeing today. It may be more flexible. It may not attempt to cover you know, every company that conceivably could have any information that might be significant. It may be better targeted or more selective, but it's important for the nation and certainly for the Department of Defense to better secure the industrial base. And I think that CMMC will proceed. Robert Metzger is a partner at the law firm Rogers Joseph O'Donnell. We'll post this interview along with a link to more information at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. And subscribe to the Federal Drive on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. Hello and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the President and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy. with uh, six actual actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old, 
I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin. And what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I. We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from C to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career, but really it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship 
uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes, when I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they gonna say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in, in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. <laughs> um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect, thank you. Yeah, we, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And, and I can tell you from the US Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. Helping your employees learn new cloud skills helps your business become more agile, more resilient, and more secure. Not helping employees learn new cloud skills causes your business to become less agile, less resilient, less secure, less innovative, less profitable, and, well, ultimately less of a business. Don't become less of a business. Try Pluralsight and get your employees everything they need to learn new cloud skills. Learn more at Pluralsight.com vision. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online.